if you were to put in order of effect on life expectancy, uh, smoking, obesity, and happiness, which has the biggest effect on life expectancy? Dude, I'm, well, my, my mind is blown. It's happiness. Hey, welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am Rick Jordan. And I have with me Nick Marks, straight from the UK. Yeah, buddy, what's up? <laughs> good, nice to meet you right there. Really good to meet you, my man. It's awesome, we were having a little pre-show conversation, but I'm noticing that you have a top hat up on your cabinet oh. behind you there on your wardrobe, yes. <laughs> Dude, I do, it's, 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 a, it's a, a gift from a friend, it was my birthday the other week, and he gave it me, and it's a sort of, I don't know if you know the sort of genre of steampunk, uh, it's this I know sort of punk. I don't know steampunk so much. Well, steampunk is a sort of Victoriana, but sort of uh, futuristic. So um, one of the best places that was Back to the Future Three, when they had the steam engine that went into the future. Yeah, and yeah. All, it's this sort of Victorian dress, but sort of science fiction. And w- him and me like that. And he gave me this top hat for me to wear at some time. I mean, the steampunk thing. So it's just a funny. Oh, that's game. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> So it's I can see you in a top hat. It's exceptionally tall top hat, actually. It's, uh, it looks it's, like it. It's, it's very, it's very tall. So it's, 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 it's. Oh a, my it's, gosh! It's a comedy. It's a comedic one. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's a statement piece, man. And then with the shirt you have on, too, it actually really goes well with that shirt because you've got the floral pattern on the inside of the collar. Yeah, yeah. and I got a little floral pattern there. But it's um, yeah, I tend to, I tend to, I tend to just wear a little bit of flash of color or something. Yeah. Uh, my wife always complains because like she has, she sort of says, all you have to do is put on a fancy shirt and everyone says you're brilliantly dressed, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think she found out our secret, man. That's that's about it. Yeah. I I love pattern shirts. You know, I'm actually starting to go with a little more solids now just because I do so much on video. Yeah. Yeah, But when I'm out, when I'm not on video, man, it's the same deal. You know, that's the thing. It's like people know when we walk into a room because of the way that we're dressed. And it's a confidence piece for me. I don't know if it is for you, but people just see that as confidence. I know what I'm wearing is going to grab attention. Yeah, I think it it is a bit. And, um, you know, I'm a guy that sort of specializes in happiness. So it's kind of goes with my sort of brand. But um, I've been experimenting also with like having more colored trousers and plainer tops. But it's very, very hard as a bloke to find pattern trousers, which are cool. Yeah, you know, right on. Uh, yep. Women would have got great clothing in that way, but you want something that's sort of thing. So actually my stepdaughter makes clothes, so she started making me trousers. Because awesome. I'm a bit I'm a bit chubby too, so it's like I can't just pick them off the peg. So yeah. anyway, so she started making me some, which is quite fun. So I don't know. It, but I, I do like I don't know. I guess it's attention seeking, isn't it? I'm a bit of an extrovert. Yep. And so, you know, it's probably part of that. Well, that's what it is, man. And I th- I would hope that most people would want to get to that point, you know, because I yeah. think in business. You know, which you're, you're an entrepreneur, right? Mm. In business, though, you have to, drawing attention is a very good thing. Mm. And if you don't draw attention, who's going to notice you and who's going to want to do business with you? How are they going to find you if you're not trying to go out there and grab attention? You know, but then also when you walk in, it positions you almost like above that prospect to where they want to look up to you and be to the point I've noticed anyways with me that they just want to do business with you because literally how you look. Because you have the confidence and the poise to walk in and just be flashy. 
Yeah, I think I think that's good as long as you can follow it through with the real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this is truth. I know. Yeah, because the appearance will only carry you so far, but you still have to open your mouth at some point, right? <laughs> I, I remember once this person gave this this great put down to somebody where he said that he, he has an arrogance to which he's not entitled. Oh, nice. <laughs> Wow. He has an arrogance to which he's not entitled. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I think you've got to be a bit careful if you're going to, if you're going to go be confident, I think you've got to have things to, to say. <laughs> you do for sure, man. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that comes with, of course it comes with time, but the, the, there's also the, the flip crowd, right? That, you know, first off, you don't want to be dressed too flashy, but then they also don't want to speak. And I look at those kinds of people that want to be, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they see guys like us and like, oh, my gosh, you're doing so many cool things. Well, how do you do that? It's like, because I talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I dress. I like to communicate with people. And that actually makes me happy, the yeah. interaction with other people. I don't see very many successful people, man, that are introverts. You know, yeah. they, they, might, they might be. I mean, maybe they might be able to just sit in a room in their house or something, you know, especially during COVID these days. And yeah. they can make a lot of money doing funnels and buying products. Maybe that's a good fit for them, right? And yeah. I come from the technology field too. And there's two different types of engineers that I see. There's mm -hmm. those that sit in the back room that are amazing, brilliant, right? At, you know, stopping the hacks from China or, or whatever. But those individuals, even though they're super smart and brilliant, they should never be let out to talk to people. <laughs> 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 but then there's other people like you and I that might have crossed over to what I say, the dark side. Right. And we move into more of the, even though we know what we're talking about from the, the tactical perspective, we yeah. can engage in a conversation and also sell what we have too. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's the dark that I call. I say that in jest just because it is the part that I enjoy the most is the interaction with people and drawing a reaction because it helps them too. It helps lift them up with what we do. Yeah. There was a good book, wasn't there, a few years ago by Daniel Pink on selling. Did you read that? No, I didn't read that one. What he's, very famous, he's very famous for drive, you know, his book on human motivation, but he wrote one on selling and it was about, you know, even if you're a not-for-profit, you're a charity, you're still selling an idea and how do you persuade yeah. people? And, um, you know, and I, and I, of course, personality is part of it. And, of course uh, it is, yeah. but, then, but then, you know, of course, there's the meat of it. There's also how well networked you are and what level of influence you have, because there's definitely power structures to move within. Yeah. So there's all yeah. sorts of, you know, factors to it. But, but I think that, charisma and extroversion is, is part of it but if you i mean I, I have always tended to be a bit of an extrovert and i suppose one has to own the fact that one has some charisma but you do have to be careful because if you've got a little bit of persuasive power you you do i've always found it becomes you have to be quite ethical in how you use that and you have to For think sure. about about how what the impact you're having and be aware that you're having an impact because i think when yeah, i was younger yeah. I sometimes didn't quite realize. And then, you know, then, you know, I changed my mind or I do something and, you know, and people would go, you know, what you've done, you know, and it's, so I yeah. think you have to start thinking things through a little bit more. If you're, if you're going to step into that place of being some sort of thought leader or some sort of thing yeah. about it. And I mean, and what I do to do that is I'm a statistician. So I use data to keep me honest and, and often data will disagree with my opinion. So I have to change my opinion. Dude, that's a brilliant, that's, I love that perspective, man. I really appreciate that because ethics is like one of the foundational cores of who I am. Yeah. And you're right because it's not even just sales. It's just, you said thought leader and it's really any position of influence, mm. right? And if only politicians would grab onto this too, man, <laughs> because they're in a, they're in a position of persuasion. 
Yeah. Yeah, That's what they really do. You know, 90% of their careers, it's what they do. And then it gets down to the 10% of the actual work, try to change the world and get laws passed. But 90% of it is trying to convince people, influence people to try to back them in order to keep them in office, get them elected to office in the first place. Yeah. So they, they had politicians. It's like changing minds, persuading minds is their number one goal. And it's almost like secondary. That's the work. Do you think that parallels, as I'm thinking about this now, do you think that parallels sales? Because it's almost like you spend 90% of the energy trying to get the sale and convince the person and persuade them that you've got a better way, that you can change their life. And then the 10% is like, okay, now we're going to fulfill it. Yeah, I think, I think that the narratives around it are very important. I mean, I, I'm, I've never been a hard salesperson, you know, not someone yeah. that, you know, um, and I, I've always felt that if you create the right thing people will be attractive but of course what was that film uh the one with the the baseball build it and they will come feel the yeah. dream uh, it, unfortunately that doesn't happen in exactly <laughs> <laughs> well this is back to the introverts too right they think that they're going to build this amazing product but they don't go talk to people <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not, the sales don't roll in go figure no it's not a magical process that it's like <laughs> so you do then you know you do then have to think about you know, you talk about, I mean, I, I like to think of sales as where you're presenting a solution yeah. that actually is going to solve a problem for them. So you're helping them. And I think if you've got the right product, the right platform, whatever it is, and it is doing yeah, that, yeah. then, then it take, takes away some of the ethical things I've had about sales over the decades in that, you know, I, I, I came from an academic background. I came from a think tank where I used to work with public policy. And then I've only moved into business in the last 10 years, really. And I, I think I, I used to come as one of those people who's naturally suspicious of salespeople. Yeah, you know? sure. <laughs> you know, and I think that's quite a lot of people. And yeah. then you, when you work out that actually, you know, it's, it's like adverts on, on the internet. I actually quite like targeted ones because they're more likely to be of interest to me because they yeah. see what yeah. I'm doing. Some people hate them, but I go, well, isn't like, there's going to be an advert in that spot. So isn't it better that it's something that you might actually want? <laughs> you know? so, True. But other people, <laughs> they hate that. They think they're being tracked. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. you know, it might, you know, sometimes tell me something I actually want. So I, I, it's different opinions. I've sort of changed it, but I don't like that yeah. hard sell. But of course it does work sometimes, the hard sell. I mean, otherwise people wouldn't do it. But It, you it know, does, yeah. Yeah. I've moved into a position now, and I've been doing it for a long time, especially in cybersecurity. And of course, now in, in coaching and in my own industry and just general entrepreneurs, I've moved into the position to where it's almost like a take it or leave it kind of sale. And mm. I don't call that a hard sell. Yeah. It's more of, here's what I have. I know it's going to help you. Do you want it or not? Yeah. And I try to get to a no way faster now than I used to try to get to a yes. Yeah. Because the more no's that I get, that just means more energy that I don't have to waste to yeah. me anyways. And then I can just go after the ones that are either all the way up on that nine to 10 level of confidence, or they're the persuadables, right? To where I don't try to do anything with those who I don't feel that I can influence at all, which yeah. is why I try to go hard for the no's almost immediately. You know, yeah. it's like, tell me a reason why you wouldn't want this. That's a great question to ask in any kind of sales engagement. Tell me a reason why you don't want my service, my product. And also, hey, tell me a reason why you don't want to work with me. Those are the two different sides of it, right? Because we're talking about the product of the sale. If you just have that component, they're not, like you said, build it, they're not going to come. It's yeah. <laughs> how it is. But then you are the other component of this side too. And if yeah. you can get to a no fast enough on either of those sides, you don't have yeah. to waste your energy. Yeah. That's not a hard sell. That's just saying, I'm only going to focus my intentions and my energy on those who might 
fall into both of those categories to where yeah. they want my product or service and they want to work with me. Yeah. It's so much simpler that way to me. Yeah. It's got to be, I'm going to take this in an obtuse way, but it's the same for dating. You, you actually, you want the nose very quickly. And I found myself yep. in the age dating again and with a very different attitude than when I was young. Realizing that, you know, actually flushing the no was really quite good quickly. Yeah. So, well, of course, working out what your own no is, but because it's, it's an exchange. But, but actually realizing that rejection is helpful. Yep. <laughs> it, it really is, for and, sure. And so, you know, and, and, and of course, when I was young, I didn't have that confidence. Yeah, I remember going out with dudes to the, to the bars or whatever, you know, and they'll come back to me. I mean, even in the past couple of years, they're coming to me like, well, I just put two hours into that girl for no reason at the bar. <laughs> I just invested or wasted this much time on that person. If only I would have known within two minutes, I yeah. could have moved on to the next girl, yeah, yeah. you know, but instead I spent $300, two hours and I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I love your perspective on things, man. This is fantastic. <laughs> but uh, I, there was a phrase that I mentioned, the persuadables, you know, as, yeah. as I said that, and I, I've actually never said that word i've never even heard that word before until yeah. yesterday yeah. and it's fun that you're from the uk today because this is where my brain is today i'm going to give you a little, little insight into the circus that's in my head right now okay <laughs> i i was on the plane yesterday coming back from vegas because i was pitching tv producers for my my new movie that's coming out and just general tv segments got booked across the us which is awesome even yeah. in the top two and three markets la and chicago that, that's great not something new to me it's something i've been doing for a few years but on the plane, on the way home, you know, of course, I downloaded things from Netflix, right? Because I work a little. It's a four-hour flight. I work a little. I, I try to consume some information. This documentary was on Cambridge Analytica. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen that documentary. <laughs> yeah, it was mind-blowing, man, because, of course, I knew of the – and this is the whole reason why Mark Zuckerberg yeah. testified before Congress two years ago. But watching yeah. this documentary, man, and then it's just crazy because now I'm – you know, it's just weird correlations to me inside my head. Now I'm talking to you. You're yeah. in the UK, right? And we're talking about the persuadables from a sales perspective. We're talking about targeted ads, the adverts as well. That's exactly what they were doing. Uh, and it was so just to make it more spooky, I am a data an uh, analyst and I did go to university <laughs> in Cambridge. <laughs> oh my gosh, no way. But I have nothing to do with Cambridge <laughs> Analytica. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> This show is going to be so interesting. We might go the hour and a half, brother. Let's, let's, let's yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The, that's so crazy. All right. So I'm, I'm watching the documentary, right? And, yeah. and I'm seeing how the ways that they did this and the way that Facebook, you know, I don't, they had a partnership, of course, but their app had special permissions. You know, I'm in cybersecurity, which has a lot to do with privacy too. And it was mind blowing to me because Facebook just opened the doors wide open to Cambridge Analytica for this app, which was a survey app. Yeah. And you know the story, the, yeah. the survey app was able to target people politically, you know, yeah. but they did not really focus on those that were on either two extremes. And this was interesting to me too, because we're tying this back to sales now. The ones that were just hardcore for Hillary Clinton at that point in time, you know, and this is also important for the US anyways, because it's another election year. Mm -hmm. And what's running right now, a bunch of social ads for mm -hmm. both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That's mm. all you see for the most part if you're in the United States. Mm. And it was interesting to me because they did not go after the hardcore Hillary supporters. And if they targeted them, if, if through this thing, they, their mind was already made up and they were full Trump supporters at the time, they, the only things that they would show to the Trump supporters in the adverts were 
just triumphant photos of Donald Trump just to, to get them pumped up, you know, and, and strengthen their support. They were already there, but they didn't target them as much. It was only like 20% of their ad spend was over on that group. 80% of their ad spend was right down the middle in what they called the persuadables, mm. those who could, could switch. In that campaign, they were spending a million dollars a day at the height of it in social ads, and 90% of it was on Facebook versus other platforms in order to target this crowd and paint Hillary as just this deplorable, mean, risky person if she were to get into office. Mm. And I was looking at the ad spend across the board, and it was something like they ran it, it was something like 387 million ads, so, something crazy, versus Hillary's 66 million ads. You know, there was just this huge difference. And I'm seeing this, and you look at, you're talking about data analytics, and I'd love you to speak to this more, man, because you're looking at the difference. It's not that they outspended, that they outspended them, it, or outspent them. It was more that they were just really focusing on a way to where they could get in front of people all the time. And the data sets were showing that it would work best if it was those who could change their mind, not yeah. those whose mind was already set. It's interesting, really, because obviously it's a completely new way of running adverts, uh, yeah. adverts. And, and I once met this guy at a conference and he, he introduced me to a new term. So we always talk about broadcasting. Yeah. 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 But the opposite of that isn't called narrow casting. And that's what this is about. And it's narrow casting because it's basically looking to identify individuals of very small groups. And he said, there's no reason why we couldn't make it illegal to narrow cast politically do political broadcast narrow castly because basically yeah. what it used to be when I was young was they do one political broadcast. I mean, this is in the UK, but I imagine it was relatively similar in the US. You'd have one advert that went across all the channels and you kind of like, you know, that, that was what you got. Yeah. And so, uh, and the narrow casting, he just says he thinks is exceptionally dangerous for politics because it is, it's, it's impossible to police. And it's also uh, very, very manipulative. And, yep. and, and so he was, he was pro the idea that we should ban political adverts, narrow casting. And I just thought that's such a great word, narrow casting. Narrow casting. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That's yeah. mind blowing, man. So he wants to ban that, but you also say that it's a, or that was his thought process, right? Yeah, yeah. I understand the ethical implications of this too. I mean, I just yeah. watched the documentary. It was crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, it's a, my brain's very analytical that way. I, I struggle. My left and right kind of fight each other sometimes because I've got the creative that pumps up and I also have the analytical side that pumps up. Those brain tests, man, I always fell right in the middle. Yeah. Which drove all my all my professors and educators nuts, all my teachers, because <laughs> they couldn't figure me out. Because yeah. <laughs> that was just it, but, you know. And I could switch on a dime too, whenever I needed to, which was yeah. great. But this, I'm just sucking in all this information, and then I go to the creative side of my head and thinking exactly what you are, because this narrow casting, those persuadables were such a tiny group. Yeah. You know, and it, they were they were targeting them, but it was if they could target them in a they called them precincts too. You know, they, yeah. they separated the country into these different precincts inside yeah. different states. And then they went after just a few targeted individuals that were most likely to be persuaded, but yeah. also those who would also share the information more yeah. freely. You know, so it was mind blowing. And the, you just saw how it caught like wildfire, this, yeah. uh, this idea, you know, and you're right. It's very manipulative. It's, you know, also, so, it's also a structure partly of, of both the U.S. and the U.K. process where we have local winner takes all yeah. rations. Cause you know, if it was just one person, one vote in the U S yep. 
I mean, obviously, Clinton would have won, but that's a different matter. But you wouldn't, yep, you this it. narrow casting wouldn't be so important because basically you're trying to flip Florida. You're trying to fit Wisconsin or wherever it is. You know, you're yeah, trying to yeah. flip states and then you get all of the, um, uh, what do they call them? The seats. Um, you don't call them seats. You call them something else. All of the. Oh, in Congress, you're talking the electorals. Yeah. The electorals. Yeah. 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 All the electoral tool votes, whatever it is. So you get a yep. certain number, whatever. So, um, you know, and you've got a couple of states where they don't do all winner takes all, do you? You've got a couple of states where it can go three to one, two to one. And if yeah. you did that, then this, this narrow casting would become less important. And actually, it would be more democratic to. It would be, for sure. To, to, you know, just have every vote everywhere in the country count the same. It doesn't matter whether, whether you're in California or. Yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, I, I have decent knowledge of the government structure of the UK, you know, not, not, yeah. not crazy knowledge. I don't know how deep knowledge you have of, it seems like you have some good knowledge. I have some, yeah, structure. I, yeah. Yeah. But th there's, it's interesting to me too, because there, there's electorates that exist, you know, yeah. and you're, you're talking about the difference now between a democracy and a democratic Republic, you know, which yeah. the United States is a democratic Republic, yeah. which means that there are representatives yeah. that are chosen for everything. Yeah. You know, the, and those representatives, they can be Congress, they can be in the Senate, they can be in the House of Representatives, but yeah. even local states have Senates and they have yeah. a House of Representatives in the state body. And these electorates, though, man, they are also voting representatives of yeah. each individual person that's there. And they're yeah. divided into sections, too, into districts. Yeah. And those are really the ones. This is the crazy thing is that everyone thinks, oh, my vote counts towards presidents right? Or electing who are really towards the president of the United States. It really doesn't in a way, which is interesting to me because your vote is supposed to tell the electorate, which is your rep your voting representative, yeah. which way to vote. And then sometimes you can have rebellious electorates too. And there this was the case in 2016 when they, I remember some in Texas, which is predominantly a red state, right? A Republican mm -hmm. state. There were some electorates that did, just did not support Donald Trump. And mm -hmm. I can't remember the specific term for the electorate, but they, they go against the will of the people that they're supposed to represent. Yeah. And it's not even an elected official. It's an appointed official by yeah. something. I can't remember this, but it, that's even more interesting. And I remember one dude was a fireman that went against it, right? So it can literally be anybody that's an electorate, yeah. you know, that, that's part of the party. And your vote is supposed to tell that person which way they are supposed to vote yeah. for their area, for their, for their state, one of their electorates. Yeah. So if it's Illinois, I think Illinois has, what, 29 electoral votes. That means there's 29 electorates, you know? Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong when, in the number. Presumably it's when people literally had to get on a horse and go to Washington. Yeah. And go, this was our votes. <laughs> then yeah, it's exactly. Like, you know, it <laughs> that's is. almost how it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right on. I mean, we don't really need that anymore. We, <laughs> we, we could just count each individual one, but you know, but it's a, uh, I don't know whether if the Democrats got in, would they be brave enough to try and get something like that through and what would it require? Yeah, yeah. You know, but in many ways, it, you know, it would, it would make sense because it's sort of illogical really that, you know, that each American vote isn't the same, but I, I, these things have got a lot of, a lot of sort of, uh, uh, inertia in changing these systems and so probably for sure probably. and this is a system that's in play been in place for a couple centuries now yeah, too. Exactly. So it's a, yeah it's it's a different story and uh, you know there, there was good reasons of course for the the way that this was written to begin with yeah but, you know i'm always the guy asking questions you know and this is more rhetorical than anything else should it be changed now is that a better way to go by complete popular votes you yeah. know because there are the whole way the united states is set up is that it is 
United States individual yeah. governing bodies and there's different laws and it, it ties down to almost like with the, the UK, right? You have different countries that belong to the United Kingdom. At the moment, yeah. just about to lose one, I reckon soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't blame them either. The Scots probably will vote for independence in the next three, five years, but we'll see. Yeah, that's I, mean, I don't know what that means. for a long time. I mean, I don't, who knows what that means? Because Don't you, know. you see that as kind of being cyclical? Because then there's also states, you know, like this comes up sometimes with California, right? That, yeah. that they're going to succeed for the, from the United States, yeah. secede from the United States. But, you know, then there's, we're, we're states in the South too, you know, because we've got the history of the Civil War 150 years ago. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's not like the history of the UK isn't all clean and not bloody either. You know, that's, no, I mean, the only thing is that we're, predominantly an island aren't we so you know yeah. scotland becomes a separate country that breaks that up you know i mean there's a logic you can see a sort of geographical yeah. logic to northern ireland and ireland becoming united though yeah clearly clearly that's a very hot topic because it's been fought over for 150 years so sure not like me saying it means anything but you know scotland going independent means it breaks up the britain you know that the island yeah. of britain yeah so, um with wales being on top uh, my uh, my grandmother yeah was born in Wales, which is pretty yeah. fun. Uh, I'm predominantly Irish, which is also another funny story because my mother always told me I wasn't, you know, but my last name is Jordan. Then I did the, it was the 23 and me test or the ancestry DNA test or whatever yeah. it was. And it came back 67% Irish. Like, sorry, mom. <laughs> this is just the way that it is. You see, that's our fault, the English, you know, because we were so, so appalling to the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> they all emigrated, you know, because, you know, I mean, famine and, uh, you know, and yeah. lack of opportunity for Irish on, on, in England and mainland Britain. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of history of, of, you know, there's coming home to roost with, with England and Britain, you know, and there's, there's a complexity there. And yeah. you know, obviously yeah. leaving, the, leaving the European Union is sort of, well, I, I'm someone that would prefer to have stayed. So I see it as a regressive, you know, you know, a sort of slightly idealized view of the past and not understanding that actually we're just a small nation and, and we don't matter much about it being part of a block. But, you know, there are other people who think, oh, you know, we should, we should go back to being that. But then you go, well, okay, what about England and Scotland? Then you go, well, actually, you know, it was the French that invaded us anyway and the Vikings came yeah. before you. <laughs> it's like, where do, you, yeah. where do you draw a line? You know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> for sure, my man. <laughs> and a, you know, a little secret of mine too. Maybe not so much a secret for everybody that knows me. Even though I'm mostly Irish, I I, I much prefer Scotch over than I do Irish whiskey. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It just is the way that it is. You know, the, the you Irish like, whis whiskey yeah. just seems inferior and less refined. You know, less classy. I I find drinking a blended one. I quite like a Jameson's, which is Irish. And if I'm drinking malts, you always prefer Scots. But I'm not a big whiskey drinker because it normally comes out at a dangerous time of night when you definitely should be stopping drinking rather than carrying on. So I have learned over the years to say, no, I'll have peppermint yeah. tea. <laughs> this is true because that can go either way, can't it? You know, because most of the time I'll start with scotch and then I'll move into wine with my dinner. But you're okay. right, man, because then you can flip back too and have that, that delicious digestif, which can be a scotch too. But yeah. then that's where it gets dangerous sometimes yeah. because it, it just tastes so good. You know, you've got the, the decent scotch at the beginning, right? But then... The, the digest teeth is really like you're going for like a Macallan 18 or a Macallan yeah. 25. You know, you, you save the, the best for the last. And that's where you could just keep going. I, I hear you. It just gets messy. Yeah, <laughs> right yeah th this is great. We digressed a little bit into the world of what we both, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what we both enjoy. But I, 
this is interesting, you know, because there's a lot of government shakeups that are going on around the world. You know, the, I mean, COVID especially, man, accelerated a lot of these talks. Yeah. And there's just unrest in a lot of places. And it's, are our governments doing as much as they possibly can for this? You know, well, what's the problem? What did that shake down? Like, you know, because you're in England, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, would, how did that look around by you, you know, as far as like civil unrest through this period? There hasn't really been very much civil unrest in the UK. I mean, we, we, you know, if you look at it from a statistical or from a, you know, from a analytical perspective, we clearly shut down two weeks too late in retrospect, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that was a mistake. There was this idea that we'd get this herd mentality, which is very appealing to the sort of Boris Johnson, conservative, slightly libertarian political, sure. thing, which is that you know people should you know choose and don't want to affect freedom. So, I, I, in some ways, I think it. I personally, as someone that's quite centralist and uh, moderate, I found it quite forgivable that they made that mistake. I mean, it's a little unfortunate for some people who had early deaths, but you know we and we had a much higher death rate than we probably would do. But the UK has so many ports of entry they probably reckon that oh, yeah. about 3000 different routes into the UK COVID, you know, so it'd have been very difficult. You know, we, if we'd shut down earlier, yeah, we would have, we would have stopped it spreading more, but yeah. we have pretty much shut it down. And I think that's a very big difference between the UK and the U S in that, you know, we do have very low instances of new cases. Of course, it's, it's rising again now that we, we, we've opened up again. And, um, and there were, there were problems, you know, with, um, uh, you know, outbreaks in certain areas we have problems of you know multiple houses multiple generation households in immigrant communities ethnic communities you know poorer communities who live more on top of each other we have this problem that young people kind of think they're invincible and they kind of are in that it doesn't really kill them and they want to party you know quite understandably and so you know we have this thing that now you know raves are illegal and this is illegal and and older people go well top touch you know they shouldn't do this and you're thinking I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe it's entirely rational for them to go. I don't really care if I get it and I don't want to put yeah. my life on hold. So it's, it's a little bit, there are those edges, but the predominant thing is that we have rearranged how people work. You know, people are now working from home uh, and relatively happily. And there were, there were definitely some big learnings around work life balance. Of course, big, le- big learnings to come about how people collaborate and how creative they can be when they're yeah, not in the yeah. same office. So there are definite points there, but there's all sorts of goods, you know, there's less commuting. Uh, there is, you know, more time with your children. If you've got young children, which has, you know, clearly always been a big problem for people who work, you know, so there are, you know, there are some good things in there too. And then there's the real, real estate saving, which is that if big companies, you know, can, can cut their expenditure on real estate by a third by perhaps yeah. only having people in one, two a days a week. Yeah. Well, there's a big win there. Yeah. Big loss for anyone that owns housing or, or, or real estate, but the big gain for business. So there's lots of things that, that surely take a lot of time to settle. And we're not in a settled position at the moment, but we, we, you know, but so there's a lot going on, but we're, we're relatively calm. I mean, I, I also live in rural England now. I mean, I, I, I did have a lifestyle where I was in London three, four days a week and I okay. lived out here for long weekends. Now I just live here all the time. So I'm kind of immune from it in many ways. I mean, I go to London occasionally, but I, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird thing and it's got a long way to go till it settles down. Yeah, it does. I'm with you on that. And of course, vaccines are coming now. And you know, I don't know how it is in the UK, but there's a lot of Americans. I, I just saw the stat yesterday, 40% of Americans are saying they don't want to get the vaccine. Yeah, and I don't know if that's necessarily younger people or not. It didn't go in, into the data as far as that goes. But I, I do see that a lot. You know, and it was also interesting when I was in Vegas, just the, over this past weekend, 
I have a regular driver that's there. You know, it's cool because I was in an Uber black coming from the airport. And then this guy just said, his name's Kyle. He's, he has become my regular driver in Vegas because I'm there for business a lot. So now, I mean, he, even before I'm flying in, it's like, okay, I'm going to stop at Costco. You want me to get through a 24 pack of water or anything else <laughs> before you, it's fantastic. Good service. Yeah. It saves so much time, man. And time is yeah. one of the most precious commodities too. Yeah. And so I, I don't skimp on those kinds of things is finding good people that will help yeah. support what you're doing. And it, when I was talking to him, he goes, yeah, I just had the antibody test. You know, the, the test that shows yeah. if you actually have had it or not yet. Yeah. And he goes, I had the highest level possible of antibodies, you know, and he, he's maybe 35 years old. Yeah. He goes, I didn't feel a thing. Yeah. You know, I, I never even knew I had this thing, but I've got yeah. the highest level of antibodies possible. And then it's interesting too, because of statistics, and then I'll get back to the UK and the US because yeah. there's something else I saw the other day too. The, the statistics are now showing that it's a, the CDC in the United States has now looked at the data because you're a data analyst, right? Mm -hmm. And it, you'd love it. I love data too, man. I do. I don't look at it much except when the, the work's already done and then I consume the results. Right? It, but they are now saying that 6% of people have died from COVID alone in the United States, which means that 94% have had a comorbidity, meaning there is something yeah, yeah. else going on. You know, and you see that across the entire world too, I yeah. believe, you know, is that there's always some other statistic that exists there, you know, and uh, they listed like the top eight things, right? Yeah. Before they went to and other causes at the very bottom. But the, in the top eights, of course, was heart disease, uh, lung disease, uh, obesity, mm -hmm. high blood pressure, hypertension. And, but the, also in that list, which was very mind-boggling to me, was the fact that they also listed like accidental or intentional injury. <laughs> What's another thing? Including poisoning and other adverse events. Meaning if in the United States, this is the, the craziest thing. Say you have a gunshot wound. I know the UK doesn't really carry guns, right? They, they don't really exist in the UK. But if, if they do in the US, everybody knows that, right? Everybody pictures the, the United States as their breakfast is like this big, like two pound plate of bacon with a gun next to it. <laughs> not so, by the way, everybody out there, because we're worldwide, but not, not so. But in the United States, it's like if you got a gunshot wound you know, during one of the riots or something like that that are going on. And you go to the hospital, but then in the autopsy, you die from the gunshot wound. But then during the autopsy, they, they test you and you test positive for COVID. They mark you down as dying for COVID. So the stats are just ridiculous, man. And I, I don't know if it, this is the case in the UK or anywhere yeah, else. But... The statistical way of really looking at this is what they call excess deaths. And uh, so we know pretty much in the UK how many people normally die in a year. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's roughly 500,000. It might be 600,000. Okay, it's somewhere in that order, yeah? And we've had, and I'm not going to get the exact figures I haven't got in front of me, but we've had something like 6 or 7% extra deaths in the period from, you know, March until July, August. Yeah. Huh. So you're talking the, the people above and beyond who would normally yeah, so die. You, you expect causes. a certain number of people to die in that period and yeah. you've got 6% more. Huh. So, you know, whether that's a COVID death, whether it's a, a cancer death because you haven't had treatment because COVID has had problems, okay. you know, you've, got, you've yeah. got these other ways that, you know, so now what they don't know. So that's, that is probably the best way to, to, to measure it. And um, so there's two things to say about that, which is that one, 6% extra deaths is, is bad, but it's not, it's not the plague. 
Sure, you know, exactly. It's not, yeah. it's not the death rate has tripled or something suddenly. Yeah. It's six percent extra deaths. You know, so you know that's you know that's it's not great, but it's not like it's not like massive. Um, and the and the next thing to say is how many of those are early deaths? Are we actually going to dip below in the next six months? Because basically, people a lot of people would just have died six months early, and you know, yeah. and that you know that's that's still a loss. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not a loss, and every every life is a loss, but it's like it's less. It's, it seems to me less of a, of a disaster that, you know, some people have died six months earlier than they were going to. Then if someone who is 25 is suddenly dead when they have the yeah. whole life ahead of them, you know, sure. so there's sort of like lost years of life rather than just lost life. Uh, and, and so, um, so, and, and, and then it's a very, very real effect, the 6%, but you know, how much do we want to, how much extra stress are we going to cause to ourselves from the economic collapse? How much more extra stress are we going to cause from, you know, um, increased mental health issues because people yeah. are locked down because they're going to be poorer. You know, we, we've definitely seen an increase in domestic violence in the UK. I'd be surprised if you don't see an increase in, in, in deaths by gunshot because of clearly domestic violent deaths are often gunshot. Exactly. Yep. And we have, you got it. Yeah. I, and you know, and you're, we're going to see these other externalities, which are partly to do with, with how we do it. So it's a very, very difficult issue, but in March, the world, it's very easy now looking back in beginning of September, you know, to, to March, but March was really scary. It you was. know, you know, uh, uh, genuinely it's the most anxious I felt, you know, going out yeah. in public. I'm a very relaxed person and I get on the underground, the tube as we call it. And I've been looking at people thinking, have they got it? Have they got it? And I'm suddenly yeah. anxious and thinking about what I'm touching. And it wasn't pleasant at all. You know, my mother is 85. We moved her to my sisters. We were really worried about her catching it. So, it, I think we all did the right thing, trying to 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 shut it down, and uh, and now we have to learn how to live with it because even a vaccine won't cure it all. So for sure, you know, so it's 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 hard, and I know that the U.S. with its its layers of government has got very many different ways of doing it. I know that central government's lost control of the messaging in the U.S. much more than in Europe. Yeah. So there's very many mixed messages. So it's much harder, but also you know the U.S. death rate is high but you're a huge country uh i don't know what your excess death rate is but i think it's lower than the uk's i actually think i think it's you know i think the, the excess death rate would be less than six percent in the u.s that's interesting no, you, I, I don't know that but i i think it is i think it's just below you know the us the uk's definitely got one of the highest excess your problem is it's still running quite free and ours is much more controlled now yeah for sure and uh, yeah excess deaths look at that right at the top uh <laughs> from the cdc Right, I, I don't know if I can find it quickly. This is they're always so wordy. Why don't they just put what I want to know right at the top of the article? <laughs> a range estimate. The visualization includes several different estimates. I mean, they're going through and explaining it already. But shouldn't you put the information at the top and then give you everything else? What in the world? Weekly number of excess deaths. Okay. And this is funny too, according to what you're saying, because this is weekly number of excess deaths from all causes. Yeah, yeah. Not just COVID, want. but from all causes. That's it, crazy. That's what you want, yeah? You know, if if our things were suddenly causing many, many fewer traffic accidents, yeah, that's yeah. kind of a benefit. If they were causing many more other, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's you know, costs and benefits. But that's definitely the best statistical way of tracking is, is excess deaths. Sure, no doubt. You know, you're looking at 2020, and it looks like it's almost leveled off now, too, because it, on the graph that I'm looking at right now, there's a, there's a line that is yeah. the that's the norm, right? And it looks like the United States fluctuates typically between 50, somewhere between 50,000 and 60,000 deaths per week. 
Yeah, that, that and, sounds about right, yeah. Because we're- yeah, and, yeah, and this is pre-COVID too. It looks like- Yeah, yeah, you're four is, times the size of us and we're about 50, 60,000 a month. So that's about right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there was a little blip, little blip uh, that went up to 80,000 for one week in the United States. Yeah. What I'm looking at here. So that you're talking like a 30% increase, right? But that was, that was one single week. Other than that, instead of being between 50 and 60,000, the exit, we are now between what it looks like, geez, 52,000. So you're, what is that? 2,000 of 50,000 is 4% extra. 4%. Then. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, that's fluctuating yeah. with the normal curve. And you can even see the curve spikes up during the winter months. Yeah, yeah. Of the United States because of influenza and everything else too. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't change. You can see it's just like a, a peaks and valleys yeah. and the, the peaks are always around the winter months and we're already back down to where it is. And the, you know, we're still just 2% over the, for this past week. So excess deaths looks like it's anywhere between, it fluctuates on a weekly basis, but between 2% and 6%, which is where the UK is of excess deaths, again, from all causes. Yeah, so we were we were at six percent. We're no longer at six percent. Yeah, you know, but we were. In fact, we're below because some of the people that were hanging on got taken earlier. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, and and again, it's not to belittle that. And actually, I think actually one of the most disturbing things I found about it was not that older people were dying; it was that they were yeah. dying alone. Yeah, but their that's, family, their family yeah. wasn't allowed. And that I just think is heartbreaking because you know. You, you want to be with your loved ones, don't you? And I think yeah. very, that, that is, was probably the most inhumane thing going on was people dying alone. And maybe they could get a, you know, a, a, an iPad and have it talk to somebody, but that's pretty miserable. It still yeah. is, yeah. yeah. People, I mean, human beings, we're, na- we're made to be, unless you live in, uh, in Switzerland or something like that, or Sweden, right? Because they're not very, I had somebody on from over there the other day. She goes, you know, we squash it because we're just distant people anyways. We, we always do that. You know, we, we have this big bubble of personal space, but generally speaking, human beings are made to have close contact you yeah. know, because it, we're emotional human beings and you're in the, the business of happiness. Yeah. Right. I, I can't imagine how much that was just saddening your heart during this when yeah. you saw those, cause I've heard those stories that, you know, I, I'm filming my documentary on government yeah. overreach that, re, that releases in just a couple of weeks. And yeah. I'm sitting there in a church listening to these stories about the pastors not even be able to go in and, and the families not being able to go into the hospital. Yeah. Other, their loved ones were, were dying. You know, so I'm with you, my man. How did that, and then your mother too, you know, 85 years old. You oh, but she's, she's fine. She went to my sister's, yeah. but I mean, that was the fear, wasn't it? The fear was yeah. that, you know, cause she lives alone cause my father passed a, a three, three, four years ago. And, yeah. uh, um, and, and the, my actual worry for her was loneliness. It wasn't actually dying. I mean, my mom, my mom's quite cool. And she goes, well, darling, something's going to get me, you know, this is the thing. And, you know, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, but, you know, dying alone, awesome woman. dying, a dying, dying alone or being stuck at home alone, you know, and you could see it coming because Italy had already gone into lockdown and Spain had, and we were looking at it and I was thinking, God, they're going to do that to us. Well, probably they are, aren't they? And so I was trying to get her moved. Uh, uh, and one of my sisters could easily have her. And so she went to stay with my sister, but, um, but you know, it was, it was, it, she didn't like it. She didn't, she's very independent. My mom, yeah. but it was actually, she totally recognizes it was great. So she was at my sister's, I don't know, through to May. So she probably had three months, you know, not living at home, but you know, she's yeah. delighted. She's back at home now and, and, and presumably she'll go through this winter there, but, uh, but it's changed now. So I think it's, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I know. Who mm. knows where all this is going to go, man. Yeah. We've covered the gamut of things today, man. I mean, but, but the, the common thread that I've loved is just statistics and data analysts. 
yeah. data, data analysis, which is so much fun to talk about. You know, it, it, you, the data never lies, right? <laughs> Wow. I, mean, you know, <laughs> I knew I was going to get that from you. I, I, there's there's the old phrase, <laughs> lies, damn lies, and statistics. And, and, yep. and uh, I think statistics can be presented very poorly. So, um, sorry, the sun's just suddenly coming. No, you're good, man. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, I've got a skylight. <laughs> um, I, you know, I set you up for this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th I'm, I'm actually very critical of how a lot of uh, public statistics are presented. And I, yeah. and I think that they don't present risk very well. And actually, most of us are, no, people are smart. We assess risk every day. Yeah. We step out of our house, we get in a car, we take a risk. And so, uh, and, I, uh, and often, you know, people don't present it very well. So, you know, typical thing you'll say is like, if you eat bacon, you've got a 13% extra chance of getting colon cancer, something like that. Yeah. And you're like, okay, right. Well, actually you're really unlikely to get colon cancer. You know, so basically what that means is that instead of something like seven in a thousand people getting colon cancer, eight in a thousand people get cancer, like yeah. cancer which is a 13% <laughs> increase. So it sounds very dramatic, but if you don't understand what the risk of getting it is. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure to change lifestyles, or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but you know, if you were to put in order of, effect on life expectancy uh smoking obesity and happiness which has the biggest effect on life expectancy wow dude I'm, well, it's, my, it's my mind is blown it's happiness yeah. happiness has you know if you if you if you unhappy you know struggling with mental health issues or, yeah. or just generally miserable you're going to die young because you're putting your whole body under stress because basically, you know, what's happening is that, you know, when you're unhappy, you're, you're basically in a fight or flight situation. So you're, you're very, you're very primed all of the time and you're anxious and you're stressed and you see so it's huge pressure on you. And we know that we have friends who are going under a particularly stressful period of their life and they look rubbish, you know, everything. And of course they're feeling rubbish and they're looking rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you, if you're feeling good, whatever, then you're, you're basically feeling safe and secure and your body isn't preparing to be injured or fighting and it can, it can look after itself much more. So happiness is probably, you know, I mean, if you're going from sort of people who are really quite unhappy to people quite, quite happy, it's probably 10, 12 years of extra uh, of difference in life expectancy. Wow. Whereas, you know, smoking and body mass index together are probably less than 10. Um, and you can say happiness in different ways. You can talk about being social relationships. You can talk about it, you know, uh, and um, Susan Pink has done a good Ted talk on, on social relationships. And basically it's the same as happiness in lots of ways, because if you're socially connected, you're more likely to be happy. So we're talking about the same effect. You can yeah, measure it in yeah. ways, call it different things, but you know, other people are hugely important to us for our life expectancy, for our quality of life. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always very, very keen that we find solutions that, that work with people. Like, you know, one of my sisters is going that, Ma, my, you know, mum, my mum's 80, 84, 85, you know, she's borderline diabetic, Nick, you know, she really shouldn't have sugar. And you're thinking, okay. I don't think that's going to kill her. Yeah. If she has sugar in her tea, you know, it's a pleasure to her. It's a daily pleasure to her. Sure. Her gin and tonic at 6pm is a daily pleasure to her. And actually that's more important than a theoretical extra couple of months of life, you yeah, know, you know, it, you know, and, um, you know, my father was very keen on ice cream and cream. And in his 80s, he did get bigger and bigger. But as I said in my eulogy to him, the cream didn't kill him. You know, it was prostate cancer. It was not the cream. <laughs> and, you know, he maybe should have had yep. more cream. You know, he maybe should have had more cream. You know, and, and he might have been happier. 
Well, you know, it's like he, he didn't hold back my father, so there was not really a trade <laughs> off going on. But, but you know, it, 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 his sort of slight excessive personality and everything yeah. wasn't what killed him. And so, you know, we have to be careful with how these things are. And for me, experience of life is the most important thing to think about. And, and, yeah. and one of the reasons I've become interested and fascinated in my career creating metrics and data on it is because if you put numbers on it, people can take it seriously. Yeah. If you don't, then it just, oh, you know, it's a shame some people don't feel great. But if you know exactly how many people don't and what causes it, and, you know, then you can start creating public policy, which is what I used to work in in businesses. You can start thinking about which teams are unhappy. You know, how can you, how can you look after them more? And if you have the yeah. data, everyone takes it seriously more. So, you know, and I had this kind of odd mixture in my background is I'm a statistician, but I also trained as a therapist. So I, you know, I had these, sort of, and, and so I think I try to bring those two together and think about, well, what's most important to people and how do we put a number on it? <laughs> yeah. There it is. Exactly. What is most important to people? And you're talking in generalities too, you know, for the yeah. majorities, because it, even when you're talking about those, you know, 13% increases, right? If you eat yeah. more bacon or whatever, whatever it is from that six to that eight people, yeah. right. That, that 13% increase, who yeah. does that matter to really? It matters to those two people yeah. and the families of those two people. Yeah. You know, so that's where a lot of this hones in on, but the, the negative thoughts tend to really drive a lot of things in our society, I feel, which is, which is bad for, for me, right? Because it, what is it? It takes 10 happy thoughts to overshadow just one negative thought, you know, or, or the, the reverse, one negative thought can outshine 10 negative or 10 happy thoughts. You know, I'm sure you've heard that cliche. You're the expert on that, but that's a, it's always, it always seems to me like those, that 13% well, very tragic, man. I know because I'm not a dude who's never struggled with loved ones dying. Yeah. Right. My dad passed away when I was 16. That yeah. was horrific, you know, and it was from yeah, yeah. leukemia. You know, yeah. and it's, it's not like I haven't been through stuff and I'm just somebody that's spouting crap off the top of my head. I've been through losing people close to me, uh, but I would still rather live in a position of happiness and understanding that stuff is going to happen and focus on me and what I can do rather than focusing on what everybody else should do for me, because I can't really control that. No. You know, I can control wholly 100% what I'm doing for me, but I cannot control the, the actions, the behaviors of everybody else and what I feel they should do for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, the, it does. I mean, psychologists call it locus of control and like what is within your control and what isn't. And of course, it's yeah. slightly fluid in that we do influence. So what we put out does influence things. So we, yeah. we, we do influence that. And so, you know, the, the old phrase is if, you know, if, um, if you smile, the world smiles with you is, is at least partly true, you know, in the sense that, you know, if we put out good vibes, we get them back. But, um, but, uh, <clears throat> but also, yeah, we have to look at, um, for me, people often say to me, okay, what is happiness? And we can, we can think about it as yeah. an emotion. We can think about it as a, yeah. as a, as a sort of process. But part of it for me is actually feeling that you can cope with the future that, you know, that there's a security that comes to that. Cause there's a, obviously a, be a strong pleasure part of happiness is like, does this feel tasty now? Is this nice? Is it, you know, whatever it can be. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's, and there's, um, you know, there's a past part to it in the sense of like, you know, our past shapes us and we've got a genetic component. But the, the thing that most interests me is, is, you know, how does the present affect the future and how do, how do we shape that? And, yeah. and in that sense, um, you know, feeling good about ourselves now being feeling able to, uh, how would you, how would you say it? How, to, to choose how we react to situations. For sure. 
sometimes called self-regulation. Um, but it, it, it's, it's how do we take our emotional material and then choose how to do it? Because, you know, there might be something that's upsetting us, that's making us feel angry, but that doesn't mean to say we should go and punch somebody. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's not to say there's never an occasion to, to be violent. I think there obviously are. In fact, you know, there's um, a friend of ours. It's, it's one of these not good stories about divorce and, and, and as is often the case, but not always, the man's gone and done something stupid. And his 16-year-old his son, you know, met his dad for the first time in six months, having his dad slightly abandoned family. And he just got so cross, he hit him. And I actually yeah. think that was a really congruent response from a 16-year-old to his son. I'm not saying I condone someone hitting it, but, you know, I said to him as an older man, like, I understand why you hit him. And I think, I don't think you should feel bad about hitting him, you know. And his dad was so shocked that, you know, that's the reaction he got from his 16-year-old son. You know, that he needs to understand the, the you know, the, the implication he's had on it. Yeah, so yeah. it's a long story to say that we have choices how we react. And obviously, sometimes we sometimes we're less graceful about how we react than others sure. you know yep, I'm with you. um and and that's of course where it's good to apologize yeah. <laughs> you know whatever but it's uh, <laughs> but you know if you if we you know but it, it's choice and for me a sort of good definition of wisdom is saying that you know we can access our emotional debts but we yeah. rationally choose how we how we how we engage with the world for sure i love that my man yeah. You've been amazing for real. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. Uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> this is great. I love that you're a happiness expert too, but can I send people to you? Because I would love everybody to follow you because you've just got fantastic straight line views on everything in the world, it seems. Where can everyone find you? <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I uh, have a personal website, nickmarks.org. I spell Nick without a K. Um, my main thing I do is I'm the CEO of a business which measures and improves employee happiness. We call Friday Pulse. And we basically on a Friday ask people, how was their week? We create data for uh, C-suite, for team leaders on how their teams are feeling and help nice. them talk about that data and, and improve the workplace for it. And so that's called FridayPulse.com. And you can go there and we've got a little video showing what we do. And actually we're free to any organization between sort of 25 and a thousand people for three months at the moment. Uh, so people can try it and then, you know, so that's the soft sell if we go back to the beginning, you know, come and try what we're doing. <laughs> you find yep. it useful, you can start paying, you know, so. That's, that's awesome. Cool. And Twitter, you are, I am Nick Marks. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad at Twitter, but I, yeah. I, I, me. I am Nick Marks. Yeah, it should be, I am bad at Twitter. That should be my yeah. handle. Probably. <laughs> for sure. It's N-I-C-M-A-R-K-S dot It is, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And thanks for being on. This is, I really enjoyed it. You've lifted me up today, man. Just having some real data-driven conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Well, anyway, that's, that's, that's good. I do, I do like my data. Yeah. <laughs> and I like communicating it, as you can tell. It's like, that's, that's when data comes alive for me is when we can influence, uh, help, help people make better decisions, basically, whether that is governments, whether that's individuals, whether that's yeah. Yeah. Uh, businesses. I love it. Cool, man. Well, thanks, my man. Talk to you soon. You. Okay, cheers. <laughs> Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening.
I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.